If we can make our way to our seats, I love all the fellowship and all the beautiful faces. No, no, no. We can make our way to our seats. We need to figure out what your speaker. You can't hear anything. So if we can try to figure that out at some point, we can do it from up there. You were in the back of the All right, I have more announcements. There's a lot of announcements. A lot of things are happening in the next couple weeks at church. So first of all, if you know, this is kind of a family announcement, Ryan and Marley's had their baby last night, right? Yes. And the baby's happy, the mom's happy, the dad's happy, the baby's name is Francois. So if when you see them, they might be in or out for a few weeks. It's take some recovery time. My baby's, youngest baby's three. I'm not totally recovered yet, but eventually they'll come back and just congratulate them. That's good. Also, the baptism is today. So I just want to reiterate, I'm the only one who's been so far. I've been there before. I want to kind of give you the directions of how to get there. So first we'll have the lunch at Kabobji at the CRE Mall. If you put Google Maps in, you just click CRE Mall, Kabobji, it'll be there. That'll be easy to send a mall. No problem. So lunch is provided by the church. We're happy to have you come and just enjoy and get you to just have some fellowship and some food. So we have some strength for the baptism. The baptism is at 3 p.m. It's at the T. If you look on Google Maps, if you put type in TCC Ming F Church, it will be there. So I'm going to show you some pictures of how we will get there. So at this restaurant, it's called Altaya Restaurant, right before you get there, sorry, I put this in your mind, and I'll be there. If you need help, you can, you can um, text me, and I'll figure it out for you. We'll have somebody waving you down. You turn right, right before this restaurant, there'll be a parking lot, a big dirt lot, like most of Kuwait. This is the dirt lot, okay? There'll be some parking. I'm not sure exactly how much. If there is no parking, if you keep going, to the end of the picture, there's a school, okay, um, uh, a public school that will have plenty of parking. You just go down the dirt hill. It's slightly bumpy, but it's okay. This is it, right? The overflow parking if you need extra parking spaces. What's the next slide? In that dirt lot, if you look to your right, you will see this awning and this unmarked door that is where the baptismal service is okay <laughs> that's just how they do it here it's right here okay and we'll have people it'll we'll have people wandering around you see a bunch of people a bunch of christians walking around you'll know like it's the right place photos okay amanda volunteered graciously to take photos that's the only photos we really want we want to curate and make sure that not all photos are posted to social media because of the sensitivities of being in a Muslim country. Is that clear enough for everyone? 
And I wanted to ask this question. If you still plan, I, I said this last week, but I'm going to raise, you need to raise your hands again and hold them up so I can count. If you are planning to go to the baptism, raise your hand. My wife here, I thought she was going to be I'm here. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe the better question is, how many people are going to go to lunch beforehand at 1 o'clock? Who's going to lunch? Okay. And then how many people are willing to have an extra space in their car to give a ride? So, if you don't have a ride, see these hands, you need to go to one of us, and we will figure out a way to get you there if you need a ride. Okay? And then, we're going to, I played this last week, but for the people who weren't here last week, uh, Jason is coming this week. He's going to be our interim pastor for the summer, and I want to have him play it, and he'll be here at the next service, at the first Friday service. Um, but I wanted to give you just another chance to meet him through his video. So if we could play that. Hello, Crossroad International Church. Greetings to you all in the name of the Lord. My name is Jason Koch, and I'm privileged to be serving you this summer as interim pastor. Really looking forward to joining you soon and getting to know you all. Chris had asked me to do a short video about myself as an introduction, so I'll kind of walk you briefly through my life and my hope for ministry in the future. So I grew up in Canada. My family at that time is what I call culturally Christian, meaning we went to church, we did church things, we called ourselves Christians. But I think it probably wasn't until my early 20s and mid-20s, I realized there's a difference between calling yourself a Christian and actually being one. Right? There can be a difference. And so once I had finished university, where I studied engineering and I got an MBA, I actually moved to Abu Dhabi. And it was there that I was baptized and under solid teaching. My faith really began to mature at that point. I began serving regularly, teaching in the children's ministry and youth ministry. And it was during that time that the Lord placed in me a love for his word, to be studying it, to be teaching it. I just couldn't get enough of it. And I guess I should also mention at this point that while I was there in Abu Dhabi for a period of almost five years, my job took me regularly to Saudi Arabia. And I was doing consulting work, and so I would fly to Saudi every week, leave Saturday night or Sunday morning, spend the week working in Saudi and then fly back to Abu Dhabi for the weekend. And, and I was there living in Abu Dhabi for a total of eight years. And even though I really loved that career, loved what I was doing, uh, I found that my love for God's word was even greater. And so I began to seriously think about attending seminary and gaining some formal theological education. And uh, also along the way, I met a woman who would later become my wife, Joanne. Joanne is from the Philippines, and we met on a desert camping trip outside of Abu Dhabi. We've been married now for about five years, and our first child is on the way, and will be joining us at the end of August, so that's very exciting news for us. 
So anyways, uh, getting back to thinking about seminary, I left my career in consulting, became a full-time seminary student, and uh, began studying at Dallas Theological Seminary. So Joanne and I moved to Dallas, Texas, uh, in America, and we've been here ever since. And so I completed the four-year training program that they have for pastors. They call it the Master of Theology program. And at present, I, I've begun working on my PhD in Bible exposition, also here at Dallas Seminary. So I've now finished the first year out of four years in the PhD program. And so for Joanna and myself, our goal has actually always been to come back to the Gulf region. And my, my vision, my hope has been to pastor at an international church somewhere in the GCC. There, there's something very beautiful and very precious about the international churches uh, that we find in that region. Uh, that you have this contrast uh, in, in a society where people are commonly divided by nationality, ethnicity. We, who are from around the world, can be united in one body in Christ. And I think that's a really powerful testimony. And on top of that, uh, as you know, in the Gulf region, you have expats from all over the world. Many of those places are closed to missionaries or, or would be extremely difficult in any case. And, and so what an opportunity for them to come to the Gulf as expats, to hear the gospel, to be saved, and then to go back to their home countries with the gospel and then taking with them the sound doctrine that they've learned in the Gulf. So anyways, I, I hope this has given you an overview of my background and my heart for ministry. I'm really looking forward to joining you in Kuwait very soon, getting to know you all, hearing your stories, and hearing how the Lord is working in your lives. And in the meantime, uh, I am praying for you collectively as a church, and over the summer, I'll be learning how to pray more specifically for individual needs. And if you think about it, please also do pray for me and my wife, Joanne, as we prepare to be apart for the summer. And also that the Lord would continue preparing me to serve in Kuwait. So until we meet in person, may the Lord bless you all. Take care, and I'll see you very soon. God bless. All right. Excellent. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to first. Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 8. As you're turning there, uh, one more thing. If you are new, this is your first time, please fill, fill out one of these green cards. Any ministries you might be interested in, your email, your phone number, any prayer requests that you have, and we'd be happy to pray for you and connect with you and help meet whatever need that you have. So there's green cards at the table in the middle of the back. Just fill it out, slip it into the box and we will connect with you. So we are in the last couple verses of 1 Peter. We are near the end. This will be our, our final week or next week. Next week I might go through a few themes, but we are officially finishing the book today. So as you're turning there, Peter is one of Jesus' three closest disciples, spent three years with him. He saw things that no one else had seen. 
Um, and now he's a leader of the church. You know, Jesus said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. So he's saying, you're going to be the leader of the early church. And now he's an old man. He's encouraging these Gentiles, these Gentile believers in Asia Minor, which is in modern-day Turkey, to stand strong in the face of persecution. He's about to die, so he wants to pass on the wisdom that he's accrued, and through the Holy Spirit, this letter is now for all believers at all times. So in chapter 1, he talks about, we have a living hope in Jesus, that we are born again. The phrase born again was not invented by Billy Graham, but by Peter, because we're born again into a living hope. We're new people. And because of that, we can love others, and we can be holy. We don't just try to do our best, but because we're changed people, Jesus changes us, we're empowered to be our best. And then in chapter 2, he gives some analogies, some metaphors, talking about being a living building. As a church, as a family, we're a living building together, built on the foundation stone, which is Jesus Christ. And he, he calls us a chosen nation, a holy people, a kingdom of priests. So in the Old Testament, he had priests, and they were the holy people who met with God. No, as believers, we are all priests. We are all it, it embodied with the Holy Spirit and have power to read the Bible and make it make sense to us if you are a believer in Christ. He also talks about submission, submitting to the emperor, submitting to masters if you're a slave, and then wives submitting to husbands, moving into chapter 3. Trying to show these cultural norms and how they, they have value, but how to do it as a believer. And then he talks about blessing others in chapter 3 by doing good, because this is, his main theme is you're being persecuted, you are suffering. The Jews that, you know, they were connected with the Jewish nation, they're being kind of ostracized by the Jews because you're not Jews anymore, because they believe the Messiah had come. And in the Roman government, Jews had special protection from the Roman government because they just couldn't, other religions had to adopt Roman gods, but the Jews, they were just so obstinate, they couldn't. They let them have the special permission. The Christians didn't have this special permission. So they were being persecuted by both the Jews and by the Romans living in the Roman Empire. So he says, even though these people are hurting you, you still need to do good. You need to bless. And then in chapter 4, he talks about being good stewards of the time. Right? These days are evil. Be good stewards of the time. Make the most of it. Put away fleshly desires. The time of doing evil and, and drinking and, and sexual immorality, that's past. There's been plenty of time in your lives to do this. Now we need to submit to God and do good because God has a plan for each and every one of us that we need to follow in after. And that we need to be willing, which is easy to say or hard to do, willing to suffer because Jesus suffered and we will receive glory like Jesus received glory. And then in this chapter, we talked about the elders being living by example, the congregation being willing to submit to the elder and or elders, and then all of us being clothed in humility. So that leads us to chapter verse 8. And here's what he says: be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. 
And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. So, my main idea is that we need to be watchful of the devil. We need to be encouraged for God's relief and feel the love of other believers. Be watchful of the devil. Be encouraged for God's relief and feel the love of other believers. So being watchful. About 10 years ago, I remember this story so vividly. I was here about five years. And you know one of those days where you're like, you're, you finish work, and it's hot like it is now. It's like near the summertime. You're tired. You're kind of driving mindlessly. And you're just kind of like, just, you're not thinking clearly. Your brain is kind of on autopilot. So I need to go to the bank. I had to do something at the bank with my card being replaced <coughs> or some issue. So I... Get out of the car, like I'm just like, I feel like I'm swaggering back and forth. I'm just like exhausted, long day, tired, stressed, and I have to do this thing at the bank. And while I'm at the bank, somebody approaches me and says, Hey, do you know where the airport is? And I was like, Okay, I'll just be real nice. And told them where the airport was, get on the 50, and you're there. And then he, he says to me, He's like, Hey, I'm going to the airport. Um, I have these, this is so embarrassing, I have these Armani suits that I'm just getting rid of. And because I, I don't need them, uh, I'll just, if you want to buy them for a very low price, I'll give them to you. And I tried to say no a couple times, but he was like very insistent. And like I said, I was super tired, not thinking clearly. I come through like 10 minutes of him trying to sell me on these, like fine. What, how much is it, 30? Okay, here you go. And of course, the suit wasn't Armani suits. No, he duped me. No, it's clearly just some, some random, terrible suit. And because I wasn't thinking clearly and I wasn't firm, I let him and my wife well, makes fun of me to this day about it. Like, I, I probably still had that suit in my closet that I've never, ever wore. Because um, I wasn't thinking clearly. And this is kind of what Peter's starting to say. Right? He talks in the previous verses about being humble. And then he says it in, in verse 8 about being sober-minded. And this is a theme. Because he says this in chapter 113. Remember, it says, gird up the loins of your mind, be ready for action, be sober-minded. And then in 4 verse 7, he says the same thing. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Right? So being sober-minded is not how I was. I was like living on accident. I was not living on purpose when I got those suits that I never have ever worn. Um, and probably it was more than 30, probably more like 70. 
to my own chagrin and embarrassment. So he's saying, so Peter's saying, no, don't be like that. Think clearly. Right? And this mean this can mean so sober minded certainly means this, that we shouldn't be engaging in drugs or alcohol, anything that, that rattles the mind. But it can be other things too that just kind of put us in this uh, like semi inebriated or numb state. It can be sex, it can be TV, it can be food, right? All these things can be something that we, es- we want to escape, right? We want to escape reality. That's not what Peter's saying. He's saying, don't do that. We need to be aware of what's going on in life. We need to be ready because life is serious. Now, I'm not saying you can't have any fun or relax. That's not what I'm saying. But he's saying most of the time, you know, life is short and we need to live seriously and soberly and look at the gritty reality that we live in in this world and understand that. Knowing that we have a Savior who loves us and has a plan for our lives, but this world is broken, right? This world is broken, and we are still broken in many places. And it, so it can be hard to, like, to reconcile that. So we, we numb ourselves out. And that's not what Peter's saying. saying, no, be serious. And he also says, so that was just a person that duped me. But he's saying, no, there's a, there's a real spiritual reality. There's the devil. The same serpent that tricked Eve, tricked Adam, fell from heaven, is doing the same thing today. He is the deceiver. He is the deceiver. He's the accuser of the brethren, he's called. Right? So he both, he both brings us shame and he tries to trick us. And he is just as real as God is. Many, many people, if you look at polls and surveys... Believe in God, but don't believe in the devil. Well, the devil is just as real. Just as real. This is the New Testament. This is not the Old Testament. This is not Genesis. Peter's saying, no, there is a devil. He is alive. He is well. He is trying to ruin the lives of Christians. So this same deceiver, this same um, accuser of their brethren to bring a shame into our lives. He's, he's looking for people. He's looking for people unaware. He's looking for people not paying attention. So he can devour. Have you ever been on a safari or seen a lion or heard a lion? Their barks are loud, right? And I've seen them eat things, and they are just tearing it to pieces. So we need to be aware. And sometimes, you know, because life is hard or something's difficult or being persecuted... We want to numb that pain or numb that difficulty. Or we have a selfish, evil thought. Like, thinking, man, where is God? Right? This is hard. Life is so hard. Where are you? Or we become bitter. Say, man, these are people's lives. Look at their Facebook account. They are doing just so great. Their life is perfect. My life is miserable. And those thoughts, right, those thoughts can easily snowball into bitterness, right, into numbing ourselves into being jealous. And that's where the devil's right there, ready to get you. Because in our weakness, that's what he wants to grab us. Right? When we're on the mountaintop and things are going great, we're praising the Lord, the devil's probably not around. But when we're struggling, he's looking. Right? He is watchful. He is watching. And we need to be watchful of him. So don't live life oblivious to the world around you. And we are in a spiritual war. Right? You've heard, maybe you've heard this before. 
this we're in warfare right yes like I'm not taking a machine gun out and fighting people but we're in a spiritual sense of war because there's the kingdom of light which were if you believe in Jesus you're a part of and you're trying to push back the kingdom of darkness which is currently the kingdom that rules this earth amen so we are in a war state and if we think that we're not we believe that we're, then we're lying to ourselves and that's when the devil is there so it's okay Right? There's no problems. Just live at peace with people. Just live your own life. Do what you want to do. You can be happy. You can be angry. You can be jealous. No. Absolutely not. He says resist in verse 9. Resist him. And how do you resist him? Well, by being watchful. Watch for him. Be sober-minded. Be aware of what's happening. Other ways of to, um, is to flee from sin. Right? Think of Joseph, right? When Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce him, he ran away naked. He's like, I'm not going to stay and be tempted by this. I'm out. And that's, how you, that's also how you resist the devil. You're watchful. You're sober-minded. You flee from sin. You run away. And you also fight lies with the truth. When, when the Satan is accusing you of something, or bringing shame into your life, or saying things that are false, you fight back with the Word of God. That's why we read the Bible every week at church. Not just for me to give you a lecture on, on the principles of Christianity, but no, when you're in the trenches, when you're struggling, when you're suffering, when you're thinking false thoughts, you know, I know that God has good for me. Plans to prosper me and not to harm me. So flee from sin. Fight the lies with the truth because God has promises for us and if you know those promises, they will help you. To give us, he plans to give us a hope and a future. That's God's way, right? Now we may not see it right away, but God's truth, Satan wants to give us what we want right now because it will destroy us. But God says in his timing, he will give us all things. And if we're awake and we're patient with God, the devil will flee and will be honored. And we'll give the things that we want. It, with Adam and Eve, God had everything available for them. But the problem was they took it. Right? God could have given them that. The, they would, God would have given them knowledge of good and evil by being good. But instead they took the fruit because they no, I don't think God has what's best for me. I know it's best for me in this eating this fruit right now. God would in time would have given them knowledge of good and evil by being good. Right? But instead there is the taking. And we don't want to take. We want to wait for God. We've got to fight the lies with truth. And he also says Christians don't suffer alone. There's Christians all over the world, right? You're not the only one who what you're whatever you're struggling with. Whatever you're suffering with, you are not alone, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, you are not by yourself. That's and that's the first lie that we believe. It's like I, no one else has suffered this before. I am totally alone. That's a lie. That's not true. There's brothers and sisters all over the world 
We're going through the same things. You are not alone. God has never, it's like, oh, I've never seen this before. God does not think that way. God has seen this many times. He sees what you're going through. He's with you. And that's what Peter says. Don't think that you're alone. There's people with you. They're for you. Hopefully in this family, in this church, we, we are for you. We want to help you. We want to be with you. But our tendency is when we're suffering is to pull back from the people that love us and know us. Don't do that. Dig in deeper with the people. When you're going through a hard time, when you're struggling, when you feel like, I cannot make it through today, you say, no, I wanna, I'm going to call my, my brother, I'm going to call my sister in Christ. I'm going to reach out to them and they will help you. They will love you. If you think of 1 Kings 19, Elijah, right, he had this amazing miracle where God came down and ate up his sacrifice and the other, the, the worshipers of Baal were just cutting themselves and then they were all slaughtered by Elijah. And then a few verses later he's like, I'm the only one who serves you. I'm going to die by the hands of Jezebel. Terrified. Like, this is like the next chapter. After this amazing miracle that he witnessed, God says, no. Right, there's 7,000 of the Israelites who have not bowed the knee to Baal. <coughs> right? So don't believe that lie. There's other people. So be watchful. My second point is be encouraged. <coughs> so no, don't just remember that you're not alone, but in verse 10 he says, suffering is not forever. It will end. Right? He talks about the God of grace. Grace just means mercy and favor. It's undeserved. We don't deserve it. But God gives it to us anyway because he loves us. And that we're called by name to God. And we're called to be with God and Jesus forever and eternity. And he will restore. I love these four words. He says, restore confirm, strengthen, establish, right? Restore. You're going to get what's, what you've lost back. You get it all back and more. He will confirm. He'll show you the truth. He'll, he'll show you the truth that you did the right thing if you're standing firm in the faith. He will strengthen you. Life is hard, but God will give you strength. Right? He helps us endure. Life does batter us sometimes. That's, that's one of the reasons we, I come to church and you should come to church is to get, to get strengthened through Jesus. And then establish, right? That means like give you a name, give you honor, give you roots. He's going to make you firm. God does this. And yes, first of all, this is true in this life, right? Jesus said, whoever follows me will get a hundredfold in this life and the next. So God does in this life he will give us reprieve. He will give us relief. He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. But it's ultimately and even more true in the context of this verse, this eternally. Even if some of us are crying until we get to Jesus, we will get to be with him forever, right? Some of, us may, some of you may be crying until you get to Jesus. But Jesus will ultimately restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. Because, Peter says, he has dominion, he rules over this earth. Right? 
Jesus said in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Amen? So because he, he controls everything, he is going to bring you out of whatever you're going through. If you're suffering, if you're struggling, if you're in a trial, if you're in temptation, God's going to bring you out of it. In this life, I hope so. In the next life, absolutely. Absolutely. So he's going to encourage you. And then finally, be watchful, be encouraged. And then number three, be loved by other believers. So in verse 12, this is the end of the letter. He says it's written by Silvanus, right? So it was dictated. Peter was with him, right? Peter might have been old or wasn't able to write well. He says, no, this person is a brother who has been with me in these times, which is where I get my son's name is Silas. That's another name for Silvanus. It's the same name. It's a short name. He was, he wrote the letter. And then where, that, where Peter says that in, in ancient uh, epistle writing, he would sign his name there. The Peter by, by Silvanus, it would have been Peter's handwriting. And this guy was faithful with Paul and with Peter, right? Paul himself talks about Silas being a faithful companion. And he says, for, so it is for these churches, right? He wrote a brief letter. It's like, well, it's not that brief, right? It's five chapters. But in, I'm sure in Peter's mind, who, who saved thousands of people and preached probably super long, amazing sermons. So this is a brief one for me, right? For you churches in Turkey, that are struggling. They're going through hard times. He's urging them to be faithful in the midst of suffering. Again, he says, you know, be firm. Be faithful to this message. What I write to you, hold this in your heart. Right? He's declaring God's mercy and grace to all who believe and to stand firm, which means I think not just in the head. Yes, we have theological principles and understandings in our head, but how do we get them here into our heart? That's what standing firm means. Like, in my soul, I believe this so strongly that I can hold, hold on to anything. And Jesus will, will, will be with me. So not just in the head, but in the heart. Stand firm. As you read the gospel, the, the epistle of Peter, I'll read it again this week. We finished it. We're almost done. I'll give you some themes next week. But read it again. Read some of the themes that are there. And, and have it trickle into your heart, not just in your mind. In verse 13, it talks about Babylon, right? She who is at Babylon. Babylon was a, um, a metaphor for the Roman, for Rome. Babylon did exist in that time, but it was just a, like a, a shell of what it used to be. And in many places in the New Testament, Babylon is referring to Rome because Babylon was a place of wickedness and evil, and they captured the southern kingdom a few thousand years ago. Rome, what is that? It's like a decadent place. It's the biggest city in the Roman Empire. And who is she? Well, she is referring to, it's, it's a feminine in the Greek, and it's referring to, to most likely the church, the church in Rome. Because Peter was at Rome at the end of his life, and he, might, he was probably one of the pastors of the church in Rome. So he's saying, like, not just me, Silas, the church in Rome, we're greeting you, we're loving you. And then Mark, which is John Mark, right? The same one 
Um, there was a disagreement over Barnabas and Paul, the same one who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Right? So they're all together saying, we greet you. And so I love it because this, this letter wasn't written in a vacuum, right? It was written, there's other people that could have confirmed this or denied it, and no one did, right? You've got Peter, you've got Silas, you've got John Mark, you've got the church in Rome all confirming this letter and greeting these people and praise for these people, these churches in Turkey. So there's an amazing love and an encouragement for these people from these other churches and individuals, heroes and leaders in the faith, saying, you can do this. You've got this. Stand firm in the Lord. And that's what we need to think as well. We're, you know, we're not alone in the faith. Even as a church, there's other great churches in Kuwait. There's churches all over the world. There's churches throughout history. So we're not alone. We are with others. And that's one of the reasons I've been talking about maybe partnering with another network so that we can be as more connected. I think being more connected is better than being more isolated as believers, as a church, as a body. And he says, greet and honor one another. And kissing was a common practice. More, more likely, men kissing men and women kissing women, just like they do here still now. You kiss on the cheeks, right? It's part of showing honor. Or a handshake or a hug is whatever's culturally appropriate, right? I just hear humiliating experience. Another one you hear a lot about my life today. So I was relatively new to Kuwait. And there was a greeter, this female, and we, she wanted to do the, the side kiss thing. But somehow, we, on like the second kiss, we misplaced, and I accidentally kissed her on the mouth, and I died of embarrassment. So I'm like, I'm, I'll probably do the handshake or the hug, so just to avoid the kissing parts, but you're welcome to give a holy kiss. As, as Peter says here. But the point is, it's about affection. Right? It's about affection towards each other. Not just, I love you, but I don't like you. Right? As believers, we need to like each other and be encourage each other and hug each other. And, and there's, there's this physical connection. That's why one of the many reasons COVID was horrible was that there's that, none of that physical connection. Right? That you can't replicate. You can't replicate it with the online service. The hugging, the kissing, the touching. There's a physical component of affection and love that God intends for us. And then he ends the letter giving peace to those who are suffering in Jesus. Right? He's, he's peace to you. And like I said, we're at spiritual war, but we want to try to live in peace with our neighbors, with the, the people that we're with, with, of course with one another, but with the wider culture. In Kuwait, trying to live at peace with each other. So in conclusion, we need to be aware and watchful. We live in a spiritual reality. We have a spiritual enemy, the devil, who is looking for weakness. And we need to resist by fleeing, by standing firm, by being sober-minded in our thinking, in our actions, in our words. We also need to remember that we are not alone. There are brothers all over the world who are suffering like us or worse than us. And we need to be encouraged that suffering is not eternal. Suffering, we are relieved from it. 
difficult things were relieved from. We, we could talk, spend a whole service talking about how God's rescued them from problems in the past. I could do the same. Spend a whole service just talking about how God's brought me through the valley and on the other side. So it's not eternal. And even if, even if it's through this life, even if something does not heal, I think God heals. He heals many people. I've seen healing. But sometimes he says, now, right now. Maybe he says, no, not in this life, but we will all be restored and healed and be with him forever. Amen? And finally, we need to realize that we are a family at CIC. We're part of a bigger family of, of over a billion people who call in the name of Jesus. Amen? So we can be encouraged. Let's pray, Stephanie, come up. God, I just pray for this family, these people that love me, and I love them, and I just pray that, um, that you would continue that in our lives. I pray that as we're going through difficult things in this life, whether that's trials or temptations or issues with work or relationships, Whatever it is, God, that we're going through right now, that you would establish and strengthen us and help us to stand firm. And I pray against the enemy and his works and effects in this land and in this place. The devil is looking for a weakness not just in my life, but in the lives of this church and the churches in Kuwait, God. So I pray that you would shore up our defenses, that we would be watchful and aware that the enemy is, is seeking to tear us apart. But God, you are stronger than Satan. You are bigger. You are more powerful in every way. You just say no and he backs off. So I pray that you give us the strength and the will and the desire to be watchful and sober-minded and that you continue to establish and grow this body of believers at CIC. And I pray that you would encourage us, that you'd be with us. We love you so much. Help us to love you more. Help us as we go to the lunch and the baptism that you would that would be a great time to celebrate people who are publicly declaring their faith in Christ. We are I'm excited for this. And I pray that, that many of us would come and encourage them and love them as they take this step of faith of publicly declaring what is in their hearts. God be with us the rest of this this day for the lunch and the baptism. And we love you and we just ask for these things in your great name, King Jesus. Amen.